my name is uh, Vinod Shah, and I was um, to speak in a church in North India several years ago. And the pastor came up to me and he said, uh, Dr. Shah, how can we introduce you? And what kind of a doctor are you? <clears throat> so I said, uh, I'm a pediatric surgeon. So he said, what does pediatric mean? So I said, pediatric means relating to children. So when the time came to introduce me, he said, this is Dr. Vinod Shah. He's a childish surgeon. <laughs> now, uh, how does, how am I qualified to talk about uh, Hindu worldviews? Obviously, one reason is uh, I come from India and I know a lot of Hindus. But also because I come from a non-Christian background. I come from what is called a Jain religion. And Jainism is a little bit like Buddhism. Uh, that was what my father was and that is what I practiced till I was 18 years of age. And then I, uh, I found the Lord and I accepted Christ. <clears throat> and uh, because of that, I have many Hindu friends and lots of Jain friends and I have to constantly interpret Christianity to them because they ask questions. And I have to answer a lot of their questions and I have to see, I get to see firsthand how they live and how they celebrate and uh, how they understand their own religion. <clears throat> and so, uh, this is uh, my background and hopefully that qualifies me somewhat to talk about this. <clears throat> and uh, you might think that this is not quite relevant to what is happening here in the U.S. But uh, the New Age movement is really uh, a metamorphosed form of Hinduism plus a little Buddhism plus a little, a little smattering of Taoism. <clears throat> and... Uh, <clears throat> Here in the U.S. there are lots of very queer phenomena, like there are Catholic nuns who try to contact the divine feminine. Uh, health insurance companies are beginning to uh, reimburse Ayurvedic herbal treatments, alternative medicines, therapeutic touch uh, kind of treatment, and uh, our, your presidential aspiration. Aspir uh, aspiring candidate. She contacted the spirit uh, of Eleanor Roosevelt under the guidance of Jane Houston. <clears throat> and all of these people would say, um, I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in religion. <clears throat> uh, and there are even queer phenomena here in the U.S. where they worship the devil, there is Lucifer, uh, they beginning to reincarnate Hitler and uh, they, they put down the Pope and the traditional governments and the Judeo-Christian faith and so on. And so uh, this is something that uh, you want to know a little bit about. And my thesis is that many people who are new age will not know that they are new age, but they subscribe to that particular worldview. If you tell, if you ask them, also, you are new age. They may say, no, no, I don't know what you are saying. 
but their worldview is like a new age worldview. Uh, I've already said it's a Western version of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. It started in the U.S. Uh, with the Theosophical Society. It was first established in India in 1880 by a lady called Annie Besant. Uh, and their, their uh, thesis was that uh, we want to integrate Hinduism with Christianity because Christ came to India, spent 18 years in Kashmir, and he learnt, you know, Christ consciousness, uh, God consciousness here in this country. Uh, and what they did was they have taken Hinduism, they removed some unpleasant parts, and they've added some more appealing aspects to it, and sort of made a very esoteric uh, religion or a worldview called New Age. <coughs> now, why is it so very popular? It's extremely popular. Uh, most people will be New Age people to a larger or a smaller extent. <clears throat> One reason is it's very tolerant. They would say that what you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me, but let's not quarrel about it. Uh, they are able to put extremely contradictory truths together and say, yeah, you know, it can be, both can be true. And because of this, they, they are labeled as tolerant. And being tolerant is extremely uh, acceptable in society. And to, and to say that I only believe in Jesus, Jesus is the only way, is an extremely unpopular thing to say. And so um, it seems very tolerant, and so people like it. <clears throat> and then it is very green. You know, it seems very environmentally friendly. Uh, and then they don't have a concept of eternal punishment. Uh, no concept of hell. Uh, and then it empowers the I. You know, I can do what I want. It's not about dying to self, which is extremely unpopular. And then there is a lot of sexual liberty, which is again... Uh, very freeing for a lot of people. And then uh, the worst of all, and which something that they don't realize, is worship of gods and goddesses or spirits actually releases kind of a power and intoxicates people and gives them a high and gets them to perpetuate that particular sort of worldview. <clears throat> and it is tolerant because they define the truth themselves. They would say, if, if you think that is right, then that is good for you. Don't worry about what other people say. So you define what is true yourself. And one of the most popular things for them is what they call getting in touch with your inner self. <coughs> um, they would say... Uh, you're confused, don't worry. Don't listen to other people. What you do is go to a lonely place and get in touch with your inner self. Meditate. And if your inner self says, do it, just go ahead and do it. Don't worry. So it's really about uh, 
it's about doing whatever you want to do. <clears throat> and then uh, it's also about altering your self-consciousness. You know, you get in touch with your inner self mostly by altering your self-consciousness. And therefore, New Age Hinduism, they go quite well along with drug use, uh, cannabis. <clears throat> A lot of the Hindu gurus for thousands of years, they have been using cannabis. They use that, they get a high, they feel they are in touch, you know, with their inner self and they begin to uh, begin to have visions and dreams and stuff like that. The other way of altering your self-consciousness is by uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, it's called TM. <clears throat> it's again uh, a way of emptying your mind in a quiet place uh, and then invoking the spirits to sort of empower you and stuff like that. I really don't know how it happens. But uh, when you do TM, the self-consciousness gets completely altered and they go on a very high. <clears throat> so, uh, they are tolerant because they do whatever they like and they don't think they have to impose that on anybody else. So that truth is a subjective truth. It's not objective truth. <clears throat> uh, so the very center of your heart is where life begins. Whatever that means. Half the time you don't really understand what these words mean. Uh, the, the center of your heart, the most beautiful place on earth. <clears throat> And uh, they have uh, symbols like this all the time where they put all the different religions together and they would say Jesus, Muhammad and Abraham taught about the same thing and Hindu Trinity is also a little similar because it's about the triune, it's a little like the triune God in Christianity. And the wisdom of Confucius and Lao is a little bit like the wisdom of Jesus and stuff like that. So they try and integrate everything and they would say all is one. <coughs> uh, and uh, the theme of oneness of all religions where all paths lead to the same goal, one God. Now this is extremely popular in, in India and all the Hindus would wholeheartedly believe this. And this is the reason why they will not tolerate, you know, they are supposed to be tolerant, but they will not tolerate uh, monotheistic religions which would say that there is only one God and there is no other. The Muslims would say there is no God but Allah and Christians would say Jesus is the way and that is absolutely unacceptable to them. <coughs> and then again, uh, it's a very green religion, you know, uh, and people like that. It's green because uh, they believe in what is called monism. That means all reality is one. The like, you know, like uh, water, snow, mist, and steam. They have they look very different. They all about the same. All H2O. Similarly. Animals, plants, mountains, rivers, the environment, 
and the solar system, they are all exactly the same thing. Uh, so, that is called monism. Reality is one. <clears throat> and they are, this reality is really part of God himself. And so, that is called pantheism. So, monism and pantheism, these are just big words, but what it means is everything is one. <clears throat> uh, in other words, we are really part of God, but more importantly, we ourselves are God. <coughs> we are uh, we are not like God. Christians would Christians would say yes, we are like God because we are made in the image of God. But they would say no, we are God. We are part of God Himself. Uh, and the evil that you see is because of ignorance. When the ignorance goes away, you know, you you really become completely like God. <coughs> And, uh, and because of this, uh, they would say, we have so much respect for the environment. You know, we believe the plants and animals and everything is one, and we are one with them. Unlike the Christians, who, who are so materialistic, they, destroy, they have destroyed the earth, they have polluted the earth, uh, and, uh, you know, stuff like that, and they would pride on the fact that they are great environmentalists. Uh, and also the status of animals is the same as the status of man. You know, uh, because monism, you know, all, we are all part of the same thing. And so, uh, and also because in the karmic process, you can become an animal. An animal can become a man, depending on the amount of good that you have done. And so, uh, they believe that they have great respect for animals, unlike the Christians who eat a lot of meat and stuff like that. Uh, but the worst implication about this philosophy is that God is an impersonal force. And you yourself are a bit of an impersonal force. You become part of a big impersonal force. And they don't have this concept of personhood. You know, personhood as so very distinct from an it or an object or a truth. So, they don't make that distinction between personhood and non-personhood. They are all merged into the same thing. And perhaps that is one reason why people are not valued uh, as human beings made in the image of God, as special uh, and equated with sort of animals. Uh, the and it is the karmic principle underlines uh, this the the green philosophy and the karmic philosophy is that there is no unjust suffering in Hindu philosophy. That means uh, if you uh, get murdered or raped, that is because you know you've done something in your previous birth or maybe in your childhood, more likely in your previous birth, and so you you pay sort of a price for that. So there is no such thing as unjust suffering, uh, and of course that is very worrying because when people are not concerned about injustice, 
and they don't react to injustice, uh, then, you know, you don't, uh, you don't act with alacrity when unjust things happen. You sort of just take it, yes, he's probably paying his karmic price. <clears throat> and again, it's a self-regulatory law that punishes or rewards people. And karmic suffering is universal. It affects human beings, uh, heavenly beings, humans and subhumans. You know, they're all, you can move into heavenly beings, humans, subhumans, animals, plants. So you can keep going round and round the cycle depending on the amount of good you've done. Uh, <clears throat> and it also has a little sanction about people who have done good will become high caste and people who have done little worse than those people will actually become low caste. And so, you know, there is spiritual sanction for the very caste system in the karmic religion. And that is why it is not really easy to, uh, in practice, to completely remove the prejudice against the low caste people. <coughs> Uh, he was a great, uh, this man, uh, Shankaracharya. He was, he was he, in uh, the first Shankaracharya in 800 AD. He was a great philosopher, a great th profound thinker. And he is the one who, uh, <coughs> who said that we are really part of God. And there is a cosmic amnesia that has caused us to forget that we are part of God. Once this cosmic amnesia goes away and you realize that you are part of God, suffering will cease. We suffer because we have this amnesia. And so this philosophy is extremely popular. <clears throat> Uh, once you realize that you belong to Brahman, Brahman means God, Maya will cease, that means an illusion will go away, karma will cease and suffering will cease. <clears throat> uh, but what is that, what is the implication of this particular phenomenon, you know? What happens when you treat animals as the same as human beings? What happens really is that there is degradation of human beings. And also degradation of animals. That is the interesting part. You know, when you worship animals, you not only degrade animals, you degrade human beings. Um, for example, <coughs> India has uh, a bird hospital, which is 60 years old. And uh, they have 10,000 bird patients. They have a 70% recovery rate and 60 new admissions each day and stuff like that. They are, they are run by uh, my folk, which means the giant people, <clears throat> because they are supposed to be very kind to animals. <clears throat> but the same giant people, they had not built a hospital for human beings, but they had built hundreds of places for birds and for cows. Uh, they had not built anything for the poor, for the handicapped, for the mentally retarded, but they had built quite a lot for animals and for the birds. 
And so it leads to degradation of human beings. Uh, they have 4,000, India has 4,000 old age homes for cows. And uh, a lot of the giants, like Christians would give tithe, the giants would give like a little tithe for supporting one cow every month. <clears throat> and uh, the cows are kept in shelters like this and uh, people will come and sort of worship. And this leads to degradation of human beings because, you know, they don't really do anything for caring for old people, but they do things to care for old cows. <clears throat> Uh, in contrast, human beings do not get looked after at all. Poverty reigns. Elevation to the uh, animal to the status of men resulted in dehumanization. Uh, animal experimentation is not allowed. You know, uh, one of the ministers called Menaka Gandhi, she abolished all kinds of animal dissection in schools and colleges. Uh, uh, which means you cannot learn from animals and uh, they try and impose a, a religious vegetarianism. You know, recently uh, a few Muslim families who ate beef were butchered in broad daylight even and the, the police sort of knew about them but they were killed and the official authority the Hindu government authority, he said, what can you expect if you eat beef? You know, so, uh, the, the <clears throat> and you would think that, oh well, uh, India must be really looking after the cows. But actually, they did, they did a study. The organization that did a study uh, was financed by SPCA, that means Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which, interestingly, is a Christian organization. It's not really an Indian organization. Now, they studied the treatment of cows in India, and they found they were treated awfully, because, you know, cow slaughter was banned. And uh, what would people do? You know, you cannot put all the, old, all the cows in old age homes because that's really expensive. So, and you cannot officially transport cows because, you know, it's uh, not allowed. And so they would make the cows walk either to Kerala or to West Bengal and export them to uh, Bangladesh or to Sri Lanka or to the Middle East from Kerala. And uh, they would pack 100 cows when... Uh, they would pack 900 cows when you're supposed to put only 70 cows in a truck. And half a lot of them would be dead by the time they remove them. So, you know, you can see that uh, with this philosophy, neither animals nor human beings actually are helped. Uh, if you worship animals or elevate them to a human status, not only do humans get dehumanized, but animals too get cruel treatment. Uh, what does the gospel say about the status of animals? It's, uh, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. That, that doesn't mean that you are more value than 500 sparrows. It means you are a completely different paradigm. You cannot compare yourself at all with sparrows of the animal world. You are different. 
you are made in my image. Uh, and then the evil spirits from the demoniac were sent into the pigs. That means the value of that demon-possessed man who was not very economically, not you know, very useful, even that person was so important that it was worth destroying a herd of pigs. So that is the value of a human being. And animals were sacrificed for man's sins. And permission was given to eat meat. So, you know, the way gospel approaches the status of animals is completely different. And it is in elevating the status of man and understanding his image as being made in the image of God that the animals actually will also be saved. You know, very often it was, you remember the story of Nineveh, when the Ninevites repented, not only were the Ninevites saved, but the animal kingdom was saved. So this, uh, if human beings understand their God-given destiny, not only will they be saved, but the creation will be redeemed. Now that is the Christian understanding. And then the other reason why the New Age is very popular is because uh, there is no concept of judgment. And there is no concept of judgment because there is no concept of evil. It's only ignorance. You know, like uh, like a, a two-year-old might put on a switch and cause some kind of an explosion. The two-year-old has just done it because the child is ignorant, not because the child is evil. Similarly, uh, the evil that we see in the world, the, the suffering that we see in the world, or the corruption that we see in the world, is not because of evil, it is because of ignorance. And because of this understanding, um, you know, they don't have the concept of eternal punishment. And then again, uh, there's always another opportunity in the karmic cycle. You know, if you've done a lot of, if you've made a lot of mistakes, and if you've remain very ignorant, willfully, then you get you still get another opportunity in the karmic cycle. You pay your price and then you start all over again. Hell in Hinduism and the New Age is a temporary phenomenon and eternal damnation is utterly distasteful to them. And so, this is definitely a very important reason why the New Ages and Hindus would not like Christianity at all because, you know, they talk about hell and damnation. <coughs> And Christians are stereotyped as people who talk about hell and damnation. Uh, but we know that uh, hell is a reality. And, uh, you know, there are several very clear references in the scriptures. Everyone will exist eternally, either in hell or heaven. Everyone has only one life in which to determine their destiny. Heaven or hell is determined by whether a person believes in Christ alone to save them. Uh, and obviously hell was designed originally for Satan and his demons. Uh, hell will also punish the sin of those who reject Christ. So, you know, there are lots of references. And so we come into direct conflict with New Age and the Hindu understanding. Then another reason why New Age is very popular is because it empowers the I. You know, you can do what you, what feels good to you. Uh, 
you know if you if you fall in love for the third time and then if you like a woman and you feel really nice about it and you feel good about it then go ahead and do it you know you marry again and you was uh, your third wife so it's about empowering the i <clears throat> doing what is subjectively right in your sight doing what is right in your sight uh and then again what is good for me may not be good for you so they will not uh, extrapolate what they believe onto other people uh and uh the true new age magazine all paths lead to god that's their very big catch phrase the true path finally becomes self empowerment the path of self love so this is the very antithesis of what we find in the gospels uh <clears throat> they themselves become the path they become themselves the way the, to the truth and contrast this with the christian understanding where uh, paul says i am crucified with christ i don't live anymore i have to die to myself but in dying to myself i live a very glor i get risen into something really very glorious and in luke he says uh, if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me so you can see how radically different the two world views are and is it ever possible to say yeah we can be tolerant we should accept that and we should follow that you know it's not really possible to integrate the two and in galatians they, it says and they that are christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts and in mark 8:35 it says whosoever will save his life shall lose it uh, actually this is this is not hard teaching this is actually a glorious teaching because we who are christians know that in dying to self we find great liberty and joy and freedom something that uh, they will not really understand uh and then their understanding is also that the body is evil you know the physical body is dirty the spirit is pure there is a a dualism uh and if you illtreat the body then you sort of empower the spirit and the soul and um we had been to a kumbh mela where about uh about uh 100 million people come within a span of about uh, 28 days and uh, a lot of the hindu sadhus are there and uh here is a guy who's held up his hand for 12 years and uh his arm has got ankylosed and fixed and people would come and worship him because by torturing his body he's uh empowered his spirit <clears throat> and there are all these pictures about you know ascetic practices sitting on a bed of nails and uh so uh that again goes contrary to uh the christian understanding and the implication for that is if the body is really bad why bother caring for a guy who is very sick you know you might as well finish it off so that you know he can go on with the next karmic cycle 
Uh, and so the caring sciences took a long time to develop. Uh, and caring for people was not such a great virtue. Uh, so, you know, that is the worldview that uh, that is there in uh, Hinduism that can come into the New Age movement. <coughs> and then there is a lot of sexual liberty. And uh, it's very complicated. Uh, it's not really possible. I've not fully understood. Uh, I've, we talked to a few Hindu gurus about 10 years ago, an intern from St. Stephen's College. Uh, I had commissioned a little research. And uh, she went and interviewed a lot of the Hindu gurus and stuff like that, and she wrote down some things. It was not very coherent, but what they were saying. But it's something like this. <coughs> There is a lot of sexual energy in the form of a serpent at the base of the spine. And uh, that sexual energy is different from the physical energy that ordinary people have. And uh, by cultivating this spiritual sexual energy, we enjoy a different kind of uh, sort of sexual life. So that is called tantric sex. And there are these differences between the ordinary sex and the tantric sex. Uh, the ordinary sex starts in the human nervous system. This starts in the coiled serpent. Uh, the quality ordinary sex lasts for, you know, whatever minutes. But uh, tantric sex can go on for hours together because it's spiritually inspired. And uh, ordinary sex is lustful and devoid of God. But tantric sex is, a, is actually communion with God. And ordinary sex you can only have with your spouse, but tantric sex you can have with anyone because it's a form of communion with God. And so you can, so you can imagine that uh, with that sort of understanding, uh, sexual ethics just goes haywire and they feel complete freedom. Not only complete freedom, they have spiritual sanction to do whatever they want to do. Uh, Same-sex, new age permitted, divorce permitted, adultery, if you get tantric training, adultery is permitted, abortion, yes, is permitted. And uh, they think of biblical Christianity as extremely restrictive, narrow-minded, absolutely uh, ancient, not really modern, people who can't think, and so uh, it's not at all popular. <coughs> And then uh, worship of spirits releases evil power. <coughs> uh, you know, a uh, lot of the yoga initially can be physical. It's just a lot of exercises. Uh, later on, as you delve deeper and deeper, they invoke the spirits and as you, as you open up your mind, you get controlled by the spirits. And uh, they can manipulate you and, you know, uh, give you a lot of things that you want, but enslave you in the process. There are uh, many, many examples that I have, even from my relatives, uh, who went to... Uh, a tantric for healing and they got healed 
But in the process, they began to be controlled by that particular God-man. And one of them came to me and said, we know that I'm having a problem. I had abdominal pain. I went to that man. He has healed me and he's tied this thread around me. As long as I keep the thread, I'm fine. But the moment I cut the thread, I begin to have pain. Uh, and it's happened three times. And I feel there is something controlling me. Can you do something? And then I took him to uh, another uh, a Christian. We collected, few people collected, and we prayed over him. And then we cut the thread, and then he was fine. And he was released. And so, um, there is that power. Even in the New Age people, they are often controlled by spirits. And uh, something that perhaps sometimes they may not even know, or they may not admit. Uh, Evil in the garb of good, Gopi Krishna describes the following experiences of most yogic, meditative and mystical practices. During the ecstasy or trance, consciousness is transformed and the yogi, sufi or mystic finds himself in direct rapport with an overwhelming presence. This warm living conscious presence spreads everywhere, occupies the whole mind and thought of the devotee. So, uh, it's actually extremely destructive to be sort of meditating and trying to change your consciousness. Um, There are lots of modifications done in the Hinduism to suit the Western mind, so that New Age is very acceptable. One is they did not emphasize the caste system. They knew that it would not be popular here in the West. So they don't talk about the high caste and the low caste. <clears throat> the millions of gods and goddesses are not emphasized. Um, and they just talk about a supreme power. <clears throat> and they emphasize vegetarianism only mildly. Because, you know, people love their meat. And it might be a bit too dangerous to emphasize vegetarianism too much. And then they have brought in the theory of evolution. Because, you know, it seems really very scientific. To most people and so they brought in evolution and the new age modification is that the world is slowly evolving into a perfect place as people keep learning discovering and learning and discovering and as we keep going into the karmic cycle we will reach a place where all ignorance is abolished so that we all will live in peace and technology will be completely mastered and there will be a perfect place to live. And so, this theory of evolution has been brought in. <clears throat> and uh, charms, amulets and spirits have been integrated with alternative medicine. You know, uh, alternative medicine seems sounds very scientific. And so, uh, in the olden days, alternative medicine... Um, was, you know, somewhat harmless thing. But now, with the integration of charms and amulets and spirits, uh, energy fields and uh, pranic healing and stuff like that, it's become extremely uh, dangerous. But it's got a a pseudo sort of scientific appeal. Uh, Ascetic practices have been withdrawn because, you know, again, they would not be popular here. Uh, and touching the body and all stuff like that would not be very popular. So they have removed that. 
most popular in the West, however, is self-empowerment. They promote this concept of empowering yourself, looking into yourself, doing what you like. Uh, they emphasize transforming consciousness, using meditation, yoga and drugs. And they also promote the new sexual ethics. Because these are, these are some things that really appeal to the Western mind. <clears throat> okay, so the uh, question is, how can we witness to them? What are the things that would really appeal to them? One is, because we are made in the image of God, we can never get reconciled with us being some impersonal it. We cannot get reconciled with the fact that we are part of something bigger and that we would be completely absorbed into this big reality and we will lose our own individuality. And so one way to witness to them is to say that we are personal beings. We are special. We are uniquely made uh, in the image of God. And God himself is a person and that he loves you. And that is something that will always appeal to any human being who is made in the image of God. Uh, and then uh, we can talk about a servant God. You know, we believe in a, a God who came to serve, who came to die, who became vulnerable, who uh, became nothing so that we can be something. Uh, in contrast, they have gods which who are power gods. They are very powerful, very whimsical, frightening. They have to be appeased. Uh, and so uh, the concept of a servant God can sometimes appeal to them, saying we have a God who is vulnerable, who is willing to listen. Uh, and then the concept of uh, not escaping from the world, but engaging the world. You know, their understanding the Hindu and the New Age understanding is that we have to uh, look after our own spirituality and we have to escape from this, from this world. Um, but the Christian understanding is that we want to transform this world. We want to download heaven here. We want to download the kingdom of God here onto the earth. And so, that is radically different. And this is the only way, uh, uh, only way we can uh, get them to see the value of good works and service. Uh, and then, uh, the concept of loving God and loving your neighbor. You know, if you don't love your neighbor, you, in the end you end up with an existential crisis. A lot of my Hindu friends would uh, make a lot of money and then at the age of 65 or 70, they would say, uh, actually, you know, you are doing very good work. I wish I was doing something like what you were doing. Can I go and do something somewhere? Can I help uh, for two weeks? Uh, and if they help for two weeks, then they feel they have done enough for their whole year. And then, you know, they look at you the next year. So they want meaning. And they somehow try and fill that vacuum by doing something good for about two weeks. And then they feel okay. So they have an existential crisis. They have a lack of meaning. 
and that can never be properly filled unless you your life is all about loving your neighbor you cannot love god without loving your neighbor and that concept if you can get them to understand uh, that might appeal to them <clears throat> and then a resolution to the problem of sin and suffering you know when the chips are down uh when you are dying uh it's very difficult to believe that you're going to be judged and you'll become a frog next time or a ant or a dog or a plant or something because you know you're in line for the karmic uh, cycle is very difficult to live with that reality and uh it's impossible to suffer properly <clears throat> and so um we can tell them that that Christ died for you he is a living person if you confess your sin uh he can save you and you can be with him and you can love him and you can you know live a very glorious life uh and there is that unconditional offer of grace of forgiveness so uh christianity is the only religion that can provide a proper resolution to suffering especially suffering uh you know death and afterwards is not really possible uh to tell a guy don't worry you know you'll if you've done something evil then you might become a frog but after that you can you know become a man again it provides no consolation at all um <clears throat> uh, and then we can tell them that uh you have great dignity you are not just an it you are not just part of some big huge cosmic uh a mass that you are a person individual special so you you provide that dignity and also you can tell them about the about the destruction of the family how the new sexual ethics is can destroy families and if the families are destroyed civilization is destroyed and nations are destroyed and so if they can see the logic of that <clears throat> and then again the it's absolutely irrational to think that both can be true you know how can uh, what mohammed says and what jesus says and what hinduism says how can they all lead to the same path because they are so so radically different it's impossible to reconcile them and uh you are doing intellectual harakiri you know if you try and say everything is the same <clears throat> so you have to have some absolutes and then you can talk about historic authenticity you know what are uh, how do you know that what they say is true what what is where is the source of verification and you can talk about the historicity of the gospels of the fact that you know um there was uh, the jewish nation and then there was messiah was promised and he and he was born and then uh, the scriptures and and the fulfillment of a lot of the prophecies so you know there is the historic authenticity of the gospels and uh finally uh lot of hindus know 
that the power of Christ is infinitely more than the power of many of the spirits. I know personally that uh, uh, some people have come and said, uh, you know, I have a spirit which is very powerful, but the spirit that you have seems to be more powerful. What is it? So, um, if they can be helped to see that even if you are talking about spirits, the power of God in Christ is far superior to any spirit. So, these are some ways in which we can talk to them uh, <coughs> and witness to them. Finally, we can tell them that what you have is a lot of uncertainty. But what we are offering you is unfailing and the certainty of the word of God. The fact that if you believe, then Christ will forgive and you will be saved. And there is that certainty. And so uh, perhaps that can appeal to them. So these are some ways in which uh, we can witness to the new age people. I will stop here and uh, perhaps take some questions. I think we have about seven minutes. Dr. Shah, um, do you see any of this information uh, given to us linked to like the gender blending that's going on now where you can even say I don't, I'm neither male nor female, I float back and forth. Yes, coming in today, I read an article this week about children's clothing, where they're making sure there's no male. Yes, clothing. yes. There is, uh, you know, uh, the New Age has taken a little bit from the Taoism. And in Taoism, there is the ying, ying and the yang. And uh, both the male and the female have the yin, ying and the yang, whatever it means. And uh, sometimes... One is little more than the other, uh, so it doesn't really matter. You can you can sort of if you find that one is more than the other, you can actually change. So there is that justification in the new age for that sex change operations and stuff like that. Um, how do they? Okay, you said it's a tolerance religion. There's no judgments. How yeah. do they reconcile that with? butchering people who eat beef. That seems awfully judgmental. Perhaps. Well, uh, certainly uh, very, uh, there's a lot of contradiction there. Uh, you know, they talk about religious tolerance, uh, but uh, when they have the power, they're very intolerant. Uh, like what's happening in the country in India right, right now. Uh, yes. <coughs> Uh, can you please repeat that question? I can't hear well. Is there a contrast, like if a ma- female missionary was sharing with a female Hindu versus like female sharing with a male? Is there a barrier, boundary between that? Uh, yes, I think uh, educated women can talk to educated men, but often, uh, you know, rural women 
will not or you know they will not talk to uh, other men or educated men depends on the status of the woman if the woman is very educated she can uh men to female hindus yes that's possible yes yeah. question on um churches that are um bringing in christian yoga or those sorts of things um, yeah it's a ongoing debate in our country and among christians whether to uh subscribe to christian yoga or not there is an argument for christian yoga because everything belongs to god if there is any good in yoga and perhaps there is the excise part we have to redeem it we have to dust off the evil and just take that kernel of goodness from the yoga and use it so there is that argument for redeeming yoga and making it christian and then painting it with the gospel of christ and the spirit of christ it can be done but i think it should be done by people who are uh very mature who will not get uh get trapped by the hindu spirits and stuff like that because you know i don't feel able to discern evil spirits all that very well but there are people who can discern spirits and who may be called by god to sort of start a process of redemption look at what is good and do it but uh, you know i don't really know how to answer that question because most people in india are not really able to answer that question because there are some people who who say uh, all that is good belongs to god and we have to redeem it and i agree but you know how can that be done safely that's a question i have a question in regards to the the their world view and health is health or the lack of it is that something they take responsibility for is that or is that also part of the whole karma process it is part of the karma process yes lack of health illness um and you're paying in fact jains till very recently they used to say you should not actually be treating people too much because you know if you treat them you are uh, you are short circuiting their karmic process for example i have to pay a debt of say 1 million sins and i get cancer but if i'm cured i still have the debt of 1 million sins and i have to pay that another time may i as well finish paying it so 
there was that philosophy, but now they are embarrassed to talk about it. But, you know, in the classic tradition, that is a teaching. Yes, uh, there is something of that. There is the there is the apathy that goes with the karmic understanding. There is the there is the putting up with the status quo that goes with that sort of understanding. It takes away the proactivity. So what what are the like what are some steps to like helping those people and providing a good answer, like sharing why you're doing that or why it's acceptable, why it's important. Um, on the other hand, when Christians do help the poor, they are appreciative because, you know, they are made in the image of God and in the end they also realize that it's a good thing because, you know, they have the spirit of God. So there is that contradiction in themselves. Over. Thank you. <laughs>